Hey, I'm Brittany Absher, and welcome to The Proof of Plant-Based Living, where you'll find out how food can change your life, the real power of nutrition. Through expert interviews, we'll uncover the research explaining why we're unnecessarily sick, why too many of us die early despite trillions spent in healthcare, and why a system that's supposed to help us often hurts us. And we'll share stories of hope from real people who took back control of their health simply by changing their diet, reversing heart disease, diabetes, and even cancer. Your health is in your own hands and you can save your own life. This is the proof of plant-based living. I want to welcome everyone to episode four of the proof of plant-based living. I am Brittany Absher, and today we are diving into the topic of heart disease, which is the number one killer of men and women in America. I'm really excited for today's guests because I've been studying his work for years now. Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. has been a surgeon, a researcher, a clinician at the Cleveland Clinic for more than 35 years. He's accumulated several prestigious awards for his work. He documents his research. In his book, uh, the best-selling book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, and has written more than 150 scientific publications. Also serves as director of the Cardiovascular Prevention and Reversal Program at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute. So uh, Dr. Esselstyn, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanna start with this. You say coronary artery disease, the most common form of heart disease, which is responsible for, of course, heart attacks, need never exist. And if it does exist, it need never progress. So that's an interesting statement to make, especially in a country where it is the number one killer of men and women. So talk about that. Well, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that we have known perhaps for over 90 or 100 years that there are multiple cultures on the planet Earth where cardiovascular disease is virtually non-existent. For example, if you decided that you were gonna hang out your shingle as a cardiac surgeon in Okinawa, rural China, Central Africa, the Papua Highlanders in New Guinea, or the Tarahumara Indians in Northern Mexico, forget it. You You better plan on selling pencils. Why? They don't have cardiovascular disease. Why? They all thrive on whole food, plant-based nutrition. And that was really sort of the the basis for the studies that I got involved in as uh, we progressively have learned that where cardiovascular disease, and this is where all experts would agree, where cardiovascular disease has its inception, its onset, its beginning, is when we progressively injure the life jacket and the guardian of our blood vessels, which happens to be that delicate innermost lining called the endothelium. Mm -hmm. And it is the endothelium that manufactures a truly magic molecule of gas, nitric oxide. And it is nitric oxide, which is responsible for the salvation, preservation and protection of all of our blood vessels because of the remarkable remarkable functions that nitric oxide has. For example, nitric oxide will keep all the cellular elements within our bloodstream flowing smoothly like Teflon rather than Velcro. Mm -hmm. Nitric oxide is the strongest blood vessel dilator in the body. You climb stairs, the arteries to your heart, the arteries to your legs, they widen, they dilate, that's nitric oxide. Number three, nitric oxide will protect the wall of the artery 
from becoming thickened, stiff, or inflamed, protect us from getting high blood pressure or hypertension. Number four is the absolute key. A safe and normal amount of nitric oxide will protect us all from developing blockages or plaque. So <clears throat> literally, whether you are from London, Berlin, Chicago, New York, or <clears throat> Spain, mm -hmm. if you have cardiovascular disease, it is because by now, in the previous decades, they ha you have so su 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 sufficiently compromised, injured, trashed, and turned your endothelial system into an absolute train wreck that you, never, you no longer have enough nitric oxide remaining to protect you from making blockages in plaque, however. Mm -hmm. The good news is this. This is not a malignancy. This is a benign foodborne illness. And once you can get patients to understand that they never, never, ever again must they pass through their lips a single morsel that is going to further destroy an already train wrecked endothelium because then the endothelium begins to recover, makes enough nitric oxide so we can not only halt disease progression, but we often see elements of disease reversal. So what are the foods mm -hmm. that every time they pass our lips, we injure mm -hmm. endothelial cells? They're going to love this in Spain. <laughs> Any drop of oil. That's a big olive one. Oil, olive oil, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, coconut oil, palm oil, oil in a cracker, oil in a piece of bread, oil in a salad dressing. Oil injures endothelial cells, as does anything with a mother or a face. Meat, fish, chicken, fowl, turkey, and eggs. Also, anything that is dairy, milk, cream, butter cheese, ice cream, and yogurt. And we don't like sugary drinks, diet colas, Pepsi, or Coke, and avoid sugary foods because sugar injures endothelial cells. Cakes, pies, cookies, stevia, agave, excesses of maple syrup, molasses, and honey. My heart patients, I do not like nuts, peanut butter, nut butters, cashew sauce, or avocado. And finally, no coffee with caffeine. Decaf, yes. Black tea, green tea, yes. But Coffee with caffeine injures endothelial cells. Yeah. I love that one of the first things you brought up was the oil, because I think that that's a really hard one for people to accept, especially these days, because we hear so much, it's almost like they're broken down into these good oils, bad oils. The American Heart Association even has them listed on their website as, as oils that are good for your heart. And you're saying that they're all the same. And in fact, telling people, you know, read the packages of the crackers that you're buying and make sure that there's not even oil in that. Has the American Heart Association or the American College of Cardiology ever put together a diet that will take patients seriously ill with heart disease and reverse their disease? No. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, here are the landmark organizations that are supposed to be supporting this disease, but they can't put forth a diet like those multiple planets, excuse me, like those multiple cultures on the planet where they don't have heart disease. Mm -hmm. They haven't come around with that yet. So I'm, a, yes, I'll be happy to disagree, disagree because we will compete our results mm -hmm. with anybody on the planet. Yeah, and you have tested those results. In fact, 
you know, if this study that you did back in the eighties were for a drug, I think it would be so much more well-known, <laughs> but it's not. And so talk about this study. I think you took um, 21 patients, at least at first, some of them did back out of there and you saw uh, these amazing results, not with a drug, but by changing them to a plant-based diet. What did you find? Well, it was interesting that, uh, the, uh, uh, this group, my late brother-in-law used to refer to them as Essie's walking dead. They, uh, these 24 patients, they had failed their first or second bypass. They had failed their first or second angioplasty. They were too sick for these procedures or they had refused. And there were five that were told by their expert cardiologists they wouldn't live out the year. Those the five made it for 20 years. And uh, the thing that kind of really uh, concerned me at the outset, because here I was a general surgeon with this uh, idea that if you could change the diet, you could halt this disease. How would I be able to get uh, adherence or compliance to this very significant nutritional change? So I used the same <clears throat> mantra for this group that I used for my cancer patients that I had used years ago. Uh, I learned it from Bert Dunphy, who was a wonderful surgeon on the West Coast. And Bert used to say that patients with cancer are not afraid to suffer. And patients with cancer are not afraid to die. But patients with cancer suffer, but patients with cancer are afraid of being abandoned by their family or by their physician. Mm -hmm. So for the first five years, I saw every one of these patients every two weeks in the office, we check their cholesterol, blood pressure, pulse, and their uh, weight. And uh, I would go over every morsel they ate. They ate. Mm -hmm. The end of five years, I got a little more courageous. We saw them once a month. Most cardiologists will see their patients twice a year. And by the 10th time, after 10 years, they were pretty well on autopilot. So I was able to see them quarterly. Then at 12 years, we uh, went ahead and re reported the study. And that 12 years, that's about as, that's as long a study as I think that anyone has ever done with this disease because it's almost half a career. Mm -hmm. And it was very exciting to see how they stopped any disease progression. And when we carefully studied mm -hmm. them, there were often uh, elements of disease reversal, which was practically unheard of. And uh, of course, <clears throat> With all due respect to my cardiovascular colleagues, it turns out that suddenly I was an enormous threat to medicine's biggest cash cow. Because yeah. we now know what we, what we learned early was that patients who are told they have to have a stent or they have to have a bypass, they will adhere to our program. They never have to have those interventions because you can die getting a stent. You can get a heart attack getting a stent. You can get a stroke with bypass. You can die getting bypass. You can have a heart attack with a bypass. So that, and those are enormously, enormously expensive procedures. But 46% of Medicare is cardiology. Well, huge amount of money. So that was the first group. We changed it for the second group a little bit. And uh, because one of the criticisms that we had was, was that some doctors would try to do our method and they say, I can't get a patient to adhere to this kind of nutrition. I said, well, wait a minute. 
let me ask how you do this. And he said, well, Dr. Esselstyn, you have to understand I'm very busy. So I said, you get 10 or 15 minutes, right? I said, look, if you're going to have a patient make a lifestyle change, we found out you have to show the patient respect. And the only way that I know to show a patient res respect is to give them my time. So at the present time, I do conduct an intensive counseling seminar. Usually now it's all virtual. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do this once a month, usually no more than 18 or 20 patients. It's going to be a single day, five and a half hours. They're going to learn all about how they have created their disease and precisely how we are going to empower them as the locus of control to halt and reverse their disease. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for these five and a half hours, in addition to my presenting the science over about three or three and a half hours. Uh, Anne will present over an hour and a half, uh, acquire, 30 years experience acquiring plant-based foods, dealing with reading ingredients, travel and restaurants. Then we always have one or two uh, local participants who've had a previous successful experience, share their story with those in attendance who can then say to themselves, listen, if he or she can do this, I can do this. And then I should add, my secretary will give me the names and the phone numbers of everybody coming to our monthly seminar, usually two weeks beforehand. And since I'm a little old fashioned, I insist on personally calling each of those patients so I can get my arms around their story mm -hmm. and give them an opportunity to ask questions of me so that when they do come to the seminar, we have a strong platform from which we can all move forward. Yeah. That's one thing I've noticed is, you know, we do hear a lot that doctors are nervous about introducing this to their patients because they don't think that they'll accept it. And yeah. it can be difficult to adopt it, especially if you're at, at that point in heart disease where you do have to restrict even those things that you mentioned, like the nuts and the avocados and, and stuff like that. It's very, it can be very restrictive. How do we get that out of their mentality, so to speak. Very easily, because my, after you, by the time I've had three hours with these patients, mm -hmm. I've probably spent an hour. I spent an hour on two words, the endothelial cell and nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to be, who there, who's had a heart attack, for example, will suddenly realize they themselves created the heart attack by the foods they ate, which destroyed their endothelial capacity to make enough nitric oxide to protect themselves. So anybody with a brain in their head after three hours of hearing how this is, because I try to simplify the science, don't get into all the real fine little details, endothelial cell nitric oxide, because if somebody realizes that they created their disease by destroying their endothelial cells, why would they ever want to go to a restaurant and say, sweetheart, it's our anniversary. Let's destroy some more of our few remaining endothelial cells. What? Yeah, that's a good point. I'd love to know how we prevent this even further before, before it gets to this point, because so many people don't think about it until they're at that stage where they're calling you because they've, they've done until, it. Until it is taught in the second and third and fourth grade in school 
you can teach kids about the endothelial cell and nitric oxide. You can, mm -hmm. you can do this. Imagine then that a kid comes home and says to his parents, hey, dad, today I learned in school how grandpa died. That's pretty provocative. Uh, yeah. yeah. Dad said, what's that? What's the endo? And when the day comes when every cardiologist or 90% of them, or maybe 60% will insist on their patients being plant-based, then my goodness, and suddenly here you go with that old story about herd immunity. Mm -hmm. When enough people re realize that you know they're, they're crucifying themselves on the cross of processed food and, and, and oils and sugar, then it's, uh, I'm sure it's, I mean, I am optimistic that it's going to, uh, that's gonna happen. That's yeah. good news. And yeah, I think it's so important for, for parents, especially to know this, is that you, you've looked at this research where you've seen that if, if pretty much for all of us that were brought up on the standard American diet, we have evidence of coronary heart disease from a pretty young age. Is that right? You're talking about the, uh, yes, there's a wonderful uh, autopsy study. First, when we autopsied our GIs who died in Korea, at an average age of 20, 80% of these young guys already had gross evidence of coronary artery disease you could see without a microscope. Now, that study was repeated 45 years later. Mm -hmm. This time, looking at young women and men between the ages of 17 and 34 who had died of accidents, homicides, and suicides. Now the disease is ubiquitous, everybody. So was it any great surprise that if they have the disease when they're late teenagers and suddenly <clears throat> that we in their 40s and 50s, we see this tsunami of cardiovascular disease. Yeah. But we've also seen research and, and Dr. T. Colin Campbell looked at this when he was studying in China, where he looked at these rural areas and he looked at the, the death certificates and not one of them died of a heart attack. 250,000 in uh, was it Wanzu were one of those? Yes, I know Colin has shared that with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's such a, a big difference. So, why don't we know this? Why don't? Why isn't it so in our face every day that that there are parts of the world where people never see this, and it's our number one killer? Well, <clears throat> right now, I, I said <laughs> when people have asked me why cardiovascular medicine doesn't, doesn't do this. Well, that the excuse they'll use is that patients won't follow. Well, that's absolute nonsense because it's not that the message is wrong. It's really how the message is articulated. We proved this time and again, we have over what, several thousand patients <laughs> that are following this program, come on. So they, they will do it. It's just a question of how it's, uh, how you orchestrate the, me the, the message and, uh, and the other thing that we really can't overlook, and I, I, know I've, I must say I've resisted this for years, but now it, I think the evidence is so clear. Mm -hmm. so it, it's amazing. What, what, compare what you get paid for doing a stent or doing bypass surgery with, with compared with talking to somebody about Brussels sprouts and broccoli. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we could wipe out a lot of uh, national debt if we, we switch to this prescription couldn't we oh absolutely we would look at look at all the all these uh, ridiculous costs that we have for uh, 
for Medicare and, and elsewhere. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually, when I was taking my certification for plant-based nutrition, you have this interesting um, prescription, I would, I would say for patients who are pretty, you know, severe along in, in their heart disease. And what you recommend is not pills. It's you go to the grocery store, you get a ton of greens and you eat it six times a day. But what you're also saying is that you want these patients to chew those greens. So talk about that. Why is that so important? Well, by now your audience understands the importance between the endothelial cell and nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. and, and, and interestingly enough, that is age dependent. You never, you never heard of a boy or girl at age eight having a heart attack. Well, they've got nitric oxide coming out of their ears. Mm -hmm. But even if they're beautifully healthy at age 50, you now have 50% of the nitric oxide production from the endothelial cell that you had when you were 25. And by the time you're 80, you've lost 70% from your endothelial cell. So about 10 years ago, we took advantage of two things. One, we wanted a way to sort of further stimulate the endothelial cell to keep producing more nitric oxide and also simultaneously taken advantage of the newer research of the last 12 years that has shown us that mankind has an alternate pathway for making more nitric oxide. So here's what we do. I ask these patients to chew six times a day a green leafy vegetable that is roughly the size of half of their fist after it has first been boiled in water five and a half to six minutes so it's really nice and tender mm -hmm. then they must anoint it with several drops of a delightful <clears throat> either balsamic or rice vinegar why because research has shown us that the acetic acid from those vinegars will stimulate the nitric oxide synthase enzyme mm -hmm. contained within the endothelial cell that is responsible for making nitric oxide. So these patients are then gonna chew this green leafy vegetable alongside their breakfast cereal, again, as a mid morning snack, again, with your lunch and sandwich at three, mid afternoon, four, dinner time, five. And of course I adore it when you have that evening snack of arugula or kale. Now, the second benefit from chewing the greens is it restores the capacity of your bone marrow to once again make the endothelial progenitor cell. What do they do? The endothelial progenitor cell will replace your senescent, injured, worn out endothelial cells. The third benefit, and this is the absolute key, the third benefit of chewing a green leafy vegetable is you are chewing a green nitrate. As you chew this green nitrate, it is going to mix with the facultative anaerobic bacteria that reside in the crypts and grooves of your tongue. Those bacteria are going to reduce that nitrate that you are chewing to a nitrite. Now, when you swallow the nitrite, it is your own gastric acid, which further reduces the nitrite to more nitric oxide, which can enter your nitric oxide pool. So think about it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Literally, from dawn to dusk, morning to night, all day long, you are absolutely restoring 
nitric oxide, the very molecule, the deficiency of which gave you this disease in the first place. Now there is a caveat. Toothpaste with fluoride, public drinking with fluoride or mouthwash will injure these beneficial bacteria in your mouth. And we do not like patients to take antacids because antacids will reduce your gastric acidity and you will be unable to reduce the nitrite to more nitric oxide. Now, what are the green leafy vegetables that I'm talking about? They are bok choy, Swiss chard, kale, collards, collard green, beet greens, mustard green, turnip greens, napa cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, cilantro, parsley, spinach, and arugula, and asparagus. And the top six are kale, Swiss chard, spinach, arugula, beet greens, and beets. And look what it does for your memory. Yeah, look at you. You just rattled them off as quick as you could. Is this something that you recommend to everyone? Like, should a patient in their 30s be be eating these greens six times a day like that? Or is this for people? If it's, if it's a patient with heart disease, yes. Okay. No, but if you don't have heart disease, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, oh, I think you should have some greens, but you don't have to do it uh, as I mentioned. Okay, so this is if you're at, at that stage where we're trying to really reverse this at this point. If anybody's got heart disease, I want them to, I want them to do this. I mean, I, I want them to succeed. Look, we have had, maybe you've looked on my website, but you can see some striking examples of disease reversal, either on the angiogram, disease reversal on the pulse volume of the leg, disease reversal on the ultrasound of the carotid artery to the brain. Not only it stopped it, but we can often see evidence of reversal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. You know, uh, they cannot, they cannot get every now. I mean, I, this morning I had a call and a woman from Long Island who had heart disease and she said, well, Dr. Esselstyn, how about on the anniversary or on, the, on a birthday? And I said, well, wait a minute, let's, let's think about what you said. First of all, I said, you've had a heart attack and you've got 50% uh, blockages of the arteries going to your brain. And what you're asking me is, because it's not going to be just the anniversary. It's going to be Christmas. It's going to be New Year's. It's going to be Memorial Day. It'll be on the weekends. Why would anybody with a brain in their head want to further destroy the endothelial cell mm -hmm. and have more disease? So I'm a little bit hard, uh, hard, hard boiled on that one. Yeah. Yeah. You want people to take it seriously. You know, you have a lot of perks being married to Anne, and I can see her back there cooking and, and you know she's an amazing chef I followed some of her recipes and, and she's great people you know they get so caught up in the stuff you were just talking about you know how do I learn to cook this way when I, I never did it before what about going out to eat can I still do that how do you guys handle that situation well yeah when you want to go out to eat you gotta you don't you don't sit there studying the menu when the waiter or the waitress comes. Mm -hmm. You turn in your chair. You look the waiter or the waitress directly in the eye and you say, understand this, I am deathly allergic to a drop of oil. Oh my goodness, so they sit down with you. Over the menu, of course, it's all filled with oil. Mm -hmm. So you say calmly, I'd like to talk to the chef. Chef comes out, you explain to the chef, I can't have a drop of oil, no animal protein, no dairy, no sugar. Chef smiles, comes back 20 minutes with a plate of beans and rice. 
or it might be a baked potato with a vegetable. But going to a restaurant is never an indication to destroy more endothelial cells. Do you do this when you go out to eat? How how's the uh, how does the chef? Well, take I'll be honest with you. We don't, I don't find us going out very often. <laughs> but when we do, that's what happens. And the chef takes it pretty well. I mean, most most of them are pretty. Yeah, they're flattered. Yeah. So we shouldn't be afraid to to ask those questions. I mean, if if you have a really, you know, if you're allergic to shellfish or something like that, we're never afraid to make it a point to say, please don't get this anywhere near my food. So we should be able to say that when it comes to oil as well. I remember, uh, gosh, it must be about 15 or 16 years ago, I had received an invitation to make a presentation at the American Culinary Institute in the, in the Hudson River Valley, a very prestigious place. And once I got there, before I started, the director suddenly realized who I was and what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. And he canceled the, he canceled the presentation and we had a, we, but he wanted us to have a meal with him mm -hmm. and, and, his, and one of his other administrators, but he wouldn't let me talk to the chefs. That just shows you how. Right. In, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty unbelievable. And, you know, one thing I think is you talked about being so involved with your patients. And I've heard this over and over again because I've talked to some of your patients where you're available to them and they've they found your work and they've called you. And, you know, that's just something you don't see a lot with doctors. And because you've talked to so many people, um, what are the biggest misconceptions about heart disease that you find people repeating over and over again? Well, they get, sometimes they get a little bit too wrapped up in the numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if, if only my cholesterol had been less than so, or I, uh, I frequently, I get uh, a call from a man who may be 50, 55 years old and says, Dr. Esselstyn, I don't know why I'm calling you. I have absolutely no business having this disease ever since I left high school. I've gone to the gym five times a week. Well, fine, you've got big, strong, attractive muscles, but your heart vessels are rotten because you've been you know, eating the wrong foods. So exercise is a bonus. I'm not against it at all. I think it's wonderful, but nothing trumps food in terms of uh, protecting yourself from, uh, from cardiovascular disease. And of course, smoking cigarettes is out. Patients with diabetes, especially if they're type two and they've acquired diabetes uh, along, the, along the way when they're in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, you gotta really do everything you can to try to have them eat in a way when they drop weight, they may often greatly ameliorate or even often get rid of their diabetes because it's diabetes is like pouring gasoline on the fire with, with heart disease. And uh, it's just a, it's such a common misconception about what causes heart disease with uh, cholesterol. I mean, why is it that some patients who've carried a cholesterol level of 220 all their lives? And uh, let's look at Okinawa, rural China, the Papua Highlands. What about the people in those countries that have a cholesterol, uh, have a liver 
with the thermostat on it that it tends to make 220 as a cholesterol. It's fine as long as they're eating in a way that their endothelial lining of the artery has become an endothelial fortress. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if you've got a few extra molecules of cholesterol going through your bloodstream providing that you have absolutely made yourself without any cracks, fissures, openings in the endothelial cell where the cholesterol then seeps through and begins to set up housekeeping with oxidative inflammation and developing plaque. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of people, because we're not doctors and researchers, we don't really know where cholesterol comes from either. It's an important, important point to make that, you know, we make our own cholesterol, we make what we need, and the rest we get from animal products. Is that right? Yeah, we, yeah, we make all we need. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have to, shouldn't have to eat, eat cholesterol by all, but you don't need it. Cholesterol is, is essential because every single cell membrane in the body mm -hmm is made of cholesterol and it's the basis of vitamin D, it's the basis for many of our sex hormones. It's the base, it's, I think the basic model is called the cyclopentanoperhydrophenanthrene nucleus, but whoever wants to remember that, that's <laughs> basic of cholesterol and you just throw on these attachments to get these uh, other configurations of it. Yeah, and here's two misconceptions that I hear a lot when I talk to people, you know, about because I get questions about my diet a lot. Um, and one of them is, and you sort of touched on this a second ago, but some people will say, well, I'm on cholesterol medication and mine's perfect. It's, it stays perfect no matter what I eat. So what, what are your thoughts when you hear those kinds of statements? Well, it's a joke because what happens, I don't care if you're on a, <clears throat> if you're on these statin drugs or not, if you're just eating, because statins have not, look, Statins have been around for what, over 24 years? And no, more than that. Uh, but where's the, uh, the epidemic of heart disease? Has it gone away? No. Why? These collect, these, they're, what we have found in this seminar, we, know we are many patients before they ever come to the seminar, they know that they cannot take a statin drug. It's either it's give them miserable muscle cramps. Uh, it has injured their liver. It has given them diabetes or it's given them brain fog. But even those persons who don't take statin drugs when they follow the program, they do absolutely just as well as those who are taking statin drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also hear a lot that my cholesterol level is hereditary. <clears throat> I'm sure you hear that as well. <laughs> Well, but I would say that probably in 90 per hour, 100% of those situations, they've never been eating plant-based. They have no idea of what, how it can go lower mm -hmm. and uh, your liver will make what it, uh, what your body requires. But uh, <laughs> yeah, even those that have a, a, you know, this family history business, everybody in that family history has been eating the horrible Western diet, which has given them this disease. And when somebody says, oh, all my whole family going back, we all have heart disease. Yeah, but your whole family going back, they've always been, they've always been crumbling, crumbling their endothelium with the food they've eaten. And when they crumble the endothelium, where's the nitric oxide? Mm -hmm. 
So that's where the hereditary comes into play. Yeah, it might be, be you've seen this in your family members previously, but that's because you all ate the same way. Yeah. Interesting stuff. What What are your thoughts on one thing we hear a lot lately is that fish oil can really be great for your heart and we should be taking fish oil supplements. What do you yeah, think? That a, yeah, that was a study that came out and uh, then it was immediately not or within a number of months counteracted mm -hmm. by another study similar that did not show that benefit. And it was because in the first study, they, they, they were comparing the results of those taking fish oil with another group, but the placebo group was, was taking an agent that made it less favorable for them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this worship of fish oil, is that what the Okinawans are taking? Is that what they do in rural China? Is that what they're doing in Central Africa? Where they never have heart disease? Are they all taking fish oil? No. What has fish oil got in it? PCBs, mercury, and dioxin. And also, the more we fish the oceans by bulldozing them, we don't fish the oceans now, we bulldoze them. Mm -hmm. As the oceans are destroyed, the planet is destroyed. Mm -hmm. I, I can't really get excited about it. What are they getting? What are they getting from it? Omega three, fine. You want to get? You can get omega three algae without fish oil, or you can get lots of omega three through chia seeds, flaxseed meal, and green leafy vegetables. Yeah, there are a lot of, and it's less expensive to do it that way, really. So how do we how do we get people more on board? I mean, we are seeing, and you said. We're seeing a shift here and, and that's great news, but it's still very, you know, new for a lot of people. And it's very hard for people to give up what they're so used to and comfortable with. How do we change that? Well, I've, I've always felt that it was going to be changed by uh, education. Mm -hmm. And in 1991, uh, I, I was getting results. And I had seen the results that Dean Ornish had had and Colin Campbell studies. And I put together a thing called the first national conference on the elimination and prevention of cardiovascular disease in Tucson, Arizona. We had a hundred people, we had a wonderful faculty, but I had, I had naively expected this great groundswell. <laughs> what was I naive? So we, <laughs> I said, I'll do this one more time. It took a tremendous amount of work. And in 1997, this time down at Epcot in uh, Disney, mm -hmm. we had uh, 500 attendees and a wonderful Blue Ribbon faculty. And uh, again, that was more, more education. And so that was one study on plant-based foods in 91, another one in 97. But now what finally has happened is there are probably at least now seven or eight times a year, you will find a nice immersion or study on uh, plant-based nutrition, which is really gathering some momentum among a certain group. I grant you it's, it's still quite small in the overall pattern, but it's so, so different now mm -hmm. than it was 34 years ago. And uh, so education is the key, the education of doctors and the education of the, of the public. Mm -hmm. But it's hard, it's hard when you're 
taking away things that people love. When they people love uh, dairy, they love <laughs> animal protein. They love oil. I mean, they have that that uh, the taste is pretty pretty strong, pretty powerful, and that they have to be sure that the benefits are going to warrant them giving that up. Yeah. It, it does take some dedication to retrain your your taste buds and retrain your brain. Um, and you say about, about three to four months, you have to really stick to this to. Yeah, I, it, it, it does. What you're doing is you are downregulating your uh, fat receptor and the sugar receptor in your brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, that downregulation, that's why it's so important when people start out to really do it cold turkey, because if you decide every weekend, well, gosh, I was good all week long. I'm going to belly up to the trough on, <laughs> on the weekend. And then the receptor just doesn't ever really get a chance to, uh, mm -hmm. uh, to be readjusted. Is that how you did it? I mean, did you, you went plant-based, was it back in the eighties? Am I correct there? April of 84. Okay. So during the study that you were doing with your patients, you did it pretty much right along with them. Oh, I did it before them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, because that study started in 85, so a year before. Um, so how, did you go cold turkey? How was that for you? What changes did you notice immediately? Well, I noticed that Anne was really challenged because we didn't have any books that we could look at. They told us how to make recipes that were plant-based. And so uh, Anne was, I never could have done this without uh, Anne being so courageous and, and willing to uh, to experiment and with me and everybody as we went along our way. And then, of course, uh, you know, you suddenly saw others uh, picking up and we, you just, you know, find a recipe here, a recipe there. And now the uh, in my book, there's what, over 140 recipes, the same in, in Anne and Jane, I, uh, my daughter and my wife's uh, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook, plus Neil Barnard's book, plus John McDougall. They're just more and more uh, really uh, uh, delicious available recipes that are that are legal. Yeah, we're lucky now that we have places to turn when we're doing this. Where are you, um, you are? Where are you? I'm in Pittsburgh, PA. Yeah, and, and we have, we're fortunate here. We've got a great organization here that, you know, you can go to for resources, Plant-Based Pittsburgh. We have a few restaurants. None of them, of course, are oil-free because we don't see restaurants like that yet. Hopefully that's somewhere in the future, but we see some vegan ones popping up. So when we talk about a low fat diet too, this is another thing where I think you disagree with the American Heart Association because they say 30% uh, or less of, of calories from fat, but you say that that it should actually be lower than that. Is that right? Actually, I don't, yeah, it's, it ends up, we've, we've had our test, our, uh, our, Diet tested a number of times, and it's it's, it's somewhere between ten and eleven percent fat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never tell a patient what percentage of fat they have. Okay. Because eating has to be a gloriously uh, spontaneous. You can't eat by a calculator. It has to be a glorious, spontaneous event. And I don't want people to be all tied up in knots. Although some people, it's just their nature. They they tend. They tend to be that compulsive about it, but just know the foods that are, are not going to hurt you, yeah. or the ones that are going to hurt you, 
and then uh, you'll find many, many, many recipes available. That we have. Yeah, it seems complicated at first, but really you just need to know what's benefiting your body and what's not. And um, I want to get your thoughts too, because you see so many people turning to this diet now, and it's a little scary when I see my friends and family doing it is the keto diet. What, <laughs> what are you seeing in those patients? Because that is a high fat diet. See, yeah. What you see in those patients is high fat diet and a progression of disease. Mm -hmm. And I often I'll see patients who come to me and say, you know, I, I realized I had some heart disease. I, I heard about this keto diet. It sounded just like I eat all those wonderful foods. I said, yeah, but the trouble is there's never been a single study that I'm aware of with patients who are seriously ill with cardiovascular disease, go on a keto diet and have their disease halted and reversed. It doesn't exist. And uh, you no, know, the keto diet has just got all the, uh, all the wrong foods. It's really, uh, if you like if you like meat and cheese right i know that's yeah. what i say i can't really support a diet that promotes bacon over fruit so i guess my last question here is what are you having for lunch today or did you already eat lunch i see ann back there doing stuff and i just am curious what you're having. i think she had a salad set up for us to go kind of light on lunch but uh, mm -hmm. I, I haven't eaten yeah i haven't eaten the salad yet. You haven't yeah. had those yet. So on a typical day, what are you? What do you usually eat? Well, I like a, a, a breakfast that has old-fashioned Quaker oats. I wet it. I wet it down with oat uh, oat milk, and I have raisins, banana, and raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, and blackberries. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes I add a banana. I mean, and uh, that usually that certainly holds me very well. Mm -hmm. well lunchtime, lunchtime, it's in the wintertime. It usually Anne has these wonderful soups that are uh, kind you can walk on. There, thick, <laughs> and uh, probably then uh, with a uh, with a bagel, and then at uh, supper time, like tonight, we're going to have uh, my favorite beans and rice. Yeah, good one. To all these wonderful toppings. Mm -hmm. of tomatoes, peppers, chestnuts, corn, peas. I mean, it's, it's, a fee it's an absolute feast. Yum. And that's your request a lot of nights for dinner? Uh, yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've seen when you and Colin get together, you have some pretty lovely looking meals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Karen. Karen is great too. She she knows the she knows the drill. Yeah. Well, Dr. Esselstyn, it was so so nice to talk to you, and an honor for me to be able to speak with well, you. Let me close by saying uh, one thing. Uh, first of all, I guess the reason that I'm so optimistic about uh, really what uh, the the future holds, I think for, there can be a seismic revolution around the corner in health. And the seismic revolution that is going to occur will never come will never come about with the invention of another pill, drug, procedure, or operation. The seismic revolution will come about when we in the profession have the will and the grit and the determination to share with the public what is the lifestyle and most specifically, what is the nutritional literacy that will empower them 
as the locus of control to absolutely annihilate chronic illness. I love that. That's a really positive note to end on. And really, you know, that's something I wish so many people would grab hold of is that your health does not depend on a pill or the latest technology. It, it's in your hands. You have a lot more control than you think you do. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you, Dr. Esselstyn. It was great to talk to you again. Dr. Esselstyn's book is Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. You can follow him and his whole family online. You know, you saw Anne back there, his daughter Jane, also really involved in this. Your son Rip, very involved. I love all of them. Um, so definitely look them up. Uh, and next time when we do our episode of Proof of Plant-Based Living, we're actually talking Dr. Esselstyn to a woman who followed you, you spoke to her, uh, counseled her after her heart attack where she nearly died and she changed her diet and she, you know, she's been having just amazing results reversing her heart disease. So we'll hear from her next. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. You just finished another episode of The Proof of Plant-Based Living. We hope you're feeling inspired to build a healthier life for you and your family. If you want more, you can head over to my website, brittanyabsher.com for show notes and resources from today's episode. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you next time.